0: Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezinski, and this podcast episode is going to be a little different than most, a little bit more of um, a story, and a little bit more of something that I hold very dear, and something that was honestly the hardest day of my life. And it sounds a little bit dramatic to say it that way, but this honestly was the worst day of my life. And you may have a question as I get into this story, and as I tell um, this experience of why why the heck is she getting on here and talking about this? Uh, I'm not even I'm not guaranteeing that I'm not going to cry. Uh, this is an emotional experience, but I find a couple things and and as I dive into like why I'm telling this story, there's a couple reasons. The first reason is because if I can keep anybody else from having this experience, then it's worth it. And I think as we roll into summer, it's a really important thing to talk about, about water safety, about keeping an eye on your kids, about how fast drowning can happen. And if I can prevent another mother from oh we're already starting another mother from going through what i went through then it's worth it to share to share this on the podcast i also find the more that i share it the more that it helps to heal the experience the more that it helps it to not become taboo the more it helps other women know that you know what we're not perfect parents we're not perfect moms And that's not the goal. We don't have to be perfect moms. Um, We make mistakes. And you know what? It's okay. And this was a pretty big mistake and something that still is hard. But I find as I share it and as I give voice to it, it takes some of the power and some of the shame away from it. So we're, we're two minutes into the podcast and I'm already crying. Um, I'm going to try and rate it in because I think I want this story to be shared and I it's emotional, and but I want to be able to share it in a way that is uplifting and beneficial for you. This isn't supposed to be a cry fest. It isn't supposed to make you sit here and just bawl, um, although some of you may, may do that as you think about your own children. Um, I'm really not getting on here just to make everybody sad. I'm getting on here because I think this is important to talk about and because, again, we're rolling in summer. Like This is summertime. Accidents happen. And the more vigilant we can be, the more aware we can be, the more we understand what this, the process of drowning looks like, and the more we can make sure we're off of our phones and we're paying attention to our kids. Um, Hopefully that I can prevent this from happening to anybody else because July 17th of 2014, Was the worst day of my life. And that's the story that I'm going to tell today. So, we're going to go back to 2014. In March, I had just had my fourth baby, and we were finishing up residency in California. So, for those of you who don't know my story, my husband went to medical school, and so we moved around a lot for his medical training. So we lived in Pennsylvania for four years for med school, we lived in California for four years for residency, we lived in North Carolina for three years for fellowship, and now we're back in Southern California um, now that he's done with all of his training. So this happened at the tail end of our fourth year of residency, where we had baby number four, and we were getting ready to move to North Carolina. It was a big move, obviously, across the country, and... It was going to be a new chapter, which we've done before. We've done many new chapters in lots of different places in the United States. So we ended up moving all four of our kids. We drove across the United States, went to North Carolina, moved into our new home there, which was exciting because we had a small apartment in Southern California and we were able to pay the same amount of rent and have a three bedroom townhouse in North Carolina. And so it was exciting. It was new and we went to church the first week that we were there and met some new people and we were able to get phone numbers of people and one of the girls invited us to go to the lake so in in California we're very used to going to the beach in North Carolina we were a lot more inland and so a lot of people would go to the lake during the summer. And I was really excited because I was getting to meet new people, and I'm very social. And so when I get to new places, I want to start to make friends and have my kids have the opportunity to make friends with you know kids their age. And so I was really excited about this. And so I remember the morning of July 17th. We went to Aldi's, which is, if you've followed me when I was in North Carolina, is one of my favorite stores. We don't have a ton of them out here in California where I live uh, anywhere nearby. But I love me some Aldi's. And so we stopped at Aldi's and we got a bunch of food. And I filled like the back of my trunk and we had snacks and um, food you know, that I just needed to get for groceries. And so it was on our way to the lake and we continued down the street and we went to Jordan Lake. And I met up with the girls from our church, and my kids were playing, and it was just a really, really fun day. We were excited to be there with new friends, to be able to enjoy the the weather, and enjoy the lake. So, for the first couple hours that we were there, the kids enjoyed swimming in the lake, and my third child, Max, was uh, a little older than two at this time. And he didn't know how to swim, and so he had his puddle jumper floaties on. And all the kids were playing in the water, and they were having a great time. And then around lunchtime, the kids got out, and we had sandwiches and the snacks that I had bought. And Max took his floaties off and was eating you know, near me. And then the kids decided that they wanted to dig in the sand about ten feet away from the water. And so I watched them digging, and you know, Max was over there with his brother and sister, and they were digging in the in the dirt, and he would come go to the water and fill up his bucket, and then they'd go back to the to the sand and, and pour it in. And I watched him like go back and forth a couple times. And obviously looking back. I now wish that I had put his floaties back on him, even though he wasn't in the water um, because he was going back and forth. But I really thought that he understood the limits of water. In fact, on the way down, I remember as we were driving towards the lake, uh, he kept talking about how you know, Max doesn't go into the water without mommy and daddy, and Max has to have his floaties on. And he kept reiterating these things to me. Um, you know, thinking and I was like, "Oh yeah, he he totally gets this. He gets that he has has floaties that like he can't go in the water without us. Like he understands this." And I was obviously wrong, and not making sure he had his floaties on at this point is something that you know I beat myself up for a lot, um, especially in the moment. Um, but after lunch, I was sitting next to some of the moms, and all of a sudden, I had this thought come to my mind of. Where's Max? And it was a very immediate thought. It was a very urgent thought. And it was interesting looking back on it that I was only thinking about Max and not my older two kids. And I guess you could rationalize and say, you know, I thought of Max because um, my older kids are better swimmers. They weren't super old at this time. my, they were, what, seven and five. So they weren't super old. Um, but I know that this was not necessarily a thought that came from me. Um, I believe in a higher power. I believe in a God. And I believe that, that there was divine intervention that immediately let me know that I needed to find Max right then. And I jumped up. And I ran over to the hole where they had been playing, and my son and his friend were there, and I rather harshly and very urgently said, where is Max? And he said that he didn't know. And so I immediately ran straight to the water. I was holding my baby, my three-month-old baby. I ran straight to the water, and um, I remember I looked out into the water, and I saw him about ten feet out from the from the shore, and he was floating face up in the water. And I remember the colors of his swimsuit. He had on this bright red and green and blue swimsuit, and like that's the memory that I have. It was these colors just floating in the water, and I screamed and I yelled, "Get him!" Um, and there was actually a man there from our church who was, I mean, he was like a couple arms length away from him and he just, no one saw him. And um, I yelled to him, get him. And I turned to his wife who was standing right beside me and I said, take my baby. And I handed off my baby and I ran out towards the water Um, and he grabbed my son and I ran in And he ran towards me and I I grabbed Max and I um, yelled to the shore to have somebody call 911 and I ran Max to the sand and I remember looking down at him in my arms and he wasn't breathing and he was absolutely limp and he had these blue lips and this ashen skin. And I remember thinking, I should be terrified right now, but instead... I felt really calm, which feels absolutely crazy to say, Um, but I felt this calm. I felt this calm that everything was going to be okay. And it was absolutely a blessing from my Heavenly Father. Um, I definitely felt a sense of urgency, Um, but I was calm enough to do what I needed to be able to do. And I know that that didn't come from me. Um, So I threw him onto the sand and I immediately started chest compressions. And I'm, I'm a nurse by trade, and I worked for a couple of years in a neurosurgical step-down unit. And um, I've learned CPR, and I've done lots of CPR training. I've never actually done CPR on a live human being. And my son was the first experience that I had that on. And I remember I started chest compressions, and I I didn't count the compressions the first round. Um, I just did some. Uh, You're supposed to do 30 chest compressions, and I didn't really count. I just got started. And then I did uh, two rescue breaths. And I remember with an adult, you plug the adult's nose, and then you blow into their mouth. And with an infant, um, when you do infant CPR, you actually seal their mouth and nose with your mouth. Um, because it's just a smaller surface area and you can um, use the nasal passageway to get air in as well through there. Uh, and so I remember he was a little over two, so he definitely isn't an infant, but I remember putting my mouth over his mouth and nose um, and and doing two rescue breaths. And I we, I remember even being able to think clearly enough, and this goes back to that feeling of like being able to be calm enough to do what I needed to do, um, I, that I remember seeing that like one of the breaths didn't go in. So when you do CPR, you're supposed to watch the chest rise and fall to make sure that the breasts are going in. And if they aren't going in, then you need to readjust and you need to do it again so that you're actually getting the oxygen in. And I remember I didn't see his chest rise on one of the breaths, so I repositioned him and I I did a, a second, you know, another rescue breath. And for the next couple of rounds of CPR, I had this angel at my side. And and this wasn't a heavenly angel, come to find out. It was actually this, this like southern, tanned woman in a bikini. But she was absolutely my angel. And I remember her over my shoulder. And she just kept saying, you go, mama. You're doing great. Just keep going. And um, I just remember her voice as I was giving CPR, just like right next to me, like cheering me on, encouraging me. Um, I remember also that she said that she was a medic. And I remember saying to her, I'm a nurse. <laughs> and um, But she just kept saying, you're doing great. You're doing great. Just keep going. Um, and I performed uh, four rounds of chest compression and about three rounds of rescue breathing. And all of a sudden he threw up. And he started breathing, and I remember turning him to a side into the rescue position because you want to make sure that you know they're not regurgitating that vomiting that they're that they're um, or the aspirating that vomiting, but that you're just turning them to the side to that rescue position. And I immediately asked if somebody had called nine one one, and one of my friends was on the phone with them. She was standing right there, and she said. That they said just to keep him on his side, and at this point, I just remember pleading over and over and over with God, my heavenly Father, and asking Him to help Max be okay. And from the moment I got him out of the water, I you know I can't explain it, but I knew he was going to live. That wasn't my fear. Um, I was given that reassurance that he was going to live, but. This point was almost more scary for me because at this point I knew he was going to live, but I didn't know what the consequences would be. I had no idea how long he had been in the water. I had no idea how long he had been without oxygen, which is awful to think about as a mom that, you know what, like I should have known, like I should have known that. I should have known where he was. I should have been watching him. I should have known he was in the water, but I didn't. This happened, by the way, with at least four adults in the water around him, and five more adults like sitting right there in front of him, like we were literally right in front of the shore. And I absolutely don't blame anyone um, but myself. I had you know, had a, a lot of blame for myself, but I don't blame anybody else, but it's crazy how fast and how silent it can be. And I remember thinking early in the day that I didn't really like the lake versus going to the pool, because in the pool, it's a smaller area to keep track of, and you can see the bottom of a pool. And I remember when we pulled up thinking, that lake is so dark. And thinking back now, if Max wasn't on the surface, remember I said he was floating, which we can get into is is actually kind of unusual for drowning victims. Um, Drowning victims usually sink. Um, because their lungs fill with water and they and they become heavy and they sink. Um, but he was floating. And I remember thinking when I drove up, like if something happened, you would never find that person. Like it's so dark in the lake that if anybody sunk, you would never see them. And that was I remember that was a thought I had coming into the lake. And so I kept Max in the rescue position. and um the husband, who goes to my church, came over and asked if I wanted a blessing for Max. And apparently one of the ladies had gone over to him and encouraged him to come and give uh, Max a blessing. And I, I don't remember what was said in the blessing, but I remember that I was grateful that it was there and that we were able to have that blessing for my son. But I also remember thinking um, that no nothing no blessings would be withheld from me if there hadn't been a a member of the priesthood who was able to give a blessing. And that was very comforting to me. In my church, the men have the priesthood and the women do not. And that can cause um, some people to feel like there's this inequality and um, that, you know, because there was a man there that he was able to give and minister a blessing. But I remember having the thought and the feeling that, Even if he wasn't there, that there would be no blessings that would be withheld from me because of that, um, because I was a woman. The first to arrive to the scene was the fire department, and right before they got there, someone brought me my phone, and I remember calling my husband, and it was an awful, awful call to make, and I said something about Max having an accident and having to give him CPR, And TJ told me to hand the phone off to somebody else and just to be with Max. And the firemen got there and they picked up Max and they carried him farther up the shore towards the grass and they started to work on him. And at this point he was breathing, but he was still very much out of it. And he was coughing and throwing up water, but he was breathing. And it looked like they were thinking of intubating him on the scene, but Max had his teeth clenched shut and wouldn't open his mouth. And so they cut off his shirt and they applied the cardiac leads and took his vital signs. And I remember asking what his O2 saturation was, but I, for the life of me, I can't remember the response. And I honestly think they were kind of having a hard time picking it up while they were on the shore. And, um, One of the police officers called me to side and asked me to give them my name and um, information about Max. And it, it was just like this surreal moment. And I just, I couldn't even believe that like this was actually happening in my real life. And EMS showed up and they put him on a stretcher and they loaded him into the ambulance. And there was a bit of chaos trying to figure out what was going to happen because they had four kids. Um... And I wanted to be with Max, but then I had these kids and I had this baby to take care of. And I remember uh, a lady from the ward, Katie, said that she would take Ethan and Kate and she would take care of them. And then another woman said that she would take Max and that she would drive him to meet me at the hospital since I was still I was still nursing him. He was three months old. And so I got to go in the ambulance and um, sit in the back. And I remember that ride was so hard. Um, I went from having a ton of people around to it just being me and one other paramedic and my son in the back. And I remember the driver asking the paramedic if we should drive with the emergency lights on and he said yes. So I held Max's head in my hand and I talked to him, but I just felt so much fear of what the lack of oxygen was going to do to him. I didn't know if he would ever wake up I didn't know if he would ever talk again. I didn't know if he would ever walk again. Um, His eyes were rolled back in his head the whole time. Like I still have memories of seeing his eyes rolled back in his head. And although I did get him to open his eyes for me twice when I asked him to, I just remember that visual of having his eyes rolled back in his head. And um, I was a neurosurgical nurse. So dealing with brain injuries is something I'm very acutely aware of. And have seen a lot before, and so that was, you know, my biggest fear was that he didn't have enough oxygen, and that he was going to have a lot of issues because of having some brain damage due to the lack of oxygen. I remember talking to the paramedic and asking about his GCS, which is his Glasgow Coma Scale, and it's a scale they give um, out of fifteen that kind of lets you know how how scary it is with the brain um, and how much damage may have been done. And I remember he he gave him about an 11 or a 12 out of 15, which I knew was a positive sign. Um, he wasn't posturing, which is something that um, victims sometimes do with their, their hands and legs. That is a really bad sign. He wasn't doing that. He was responding to commands. Like I said, I could get him to open his eyes to command. Um, and he was withdrawing to pain. So we'll often um, do nail bed pressure, uh, and which... Is a little bit of pain, and if the patient like withdraws to that, that's a good sign. It's not a good sign if you exert some pressure on the patient and they don't withdraw to it. So he had some really good signs. Again, like as a neuro nurse, I'm doing all these assessments um, right next to him in the ambulance, but we still had no idea the extent of his damage. And I held the oxygen up to his mouth. Uh, throughout the the ride, but he never had to receive more than just like an oxygen mask. Um, And we were in the ambulance for about 15 minutes before we got to the emergency room. And um, to back up a little bit and to give a little bit of of context, uh, there's something that really was a miracle to me that happened um, before this all took place. And To like talk about that, I have to back all the way up to when we moved from California to North Carolina. And when we were in California for residency, we didn't have to worry about insurance. It was... Provided to us free of charge as part of his residency program, and it was great insurance. Um, it was amazing. We didn't realize how amazing it was until we left. And uh, you know, you can have an accident, get life lighted to the hospital, stay in the ICU for months and months, and you'll pay eleven hundred dollars. Like it just was really good insurance. But we found out when we were going to UNC for a fellowship that we were going to have to start paying for our insurance that wasn't covered under their under their agreement. And so to cover my husband and I was about two hundred dollars a month, um, but then to add the kids, it ended up being more like five six hundred dollars a month. Which, you know, five six hundred dollars a month may not seem to a lot to a lot of people, but we took a significant pay cut coming from UCI. We had four kids. You don't make a ton as a resident or a fellow, and so to us, like five six hundred dollars a month was a ton of money, and we worked our budget out and we like reworked our budget and then reworked it. And we just like couldn't see where we were going to be able to fit this in. And so as we moved, I was like, maybe we should apply for Medicaid. And I started the process before we left California and um, started the paperwork. And um, when we arrived in North Carolina, I received the paperwork from my caseworker to continue the application. And there was a lot of things I didn't understand, and I wasn't quite sure if we made the cutoff and we would be accepted. So I called several times to try and get you know, things clarified. And unfortunately, nobody returned my calls. And finally, on Monday, July 14th, which is the day the application was due, I got my caseworker on the phone. And she wasn't kind to me. And she actually made me feel really awful about the whole thing, and she um, kind of berated me for things that I had done, and gave me this whole list of things that I was supposed to be doing. And some of them were really reasonable, like getting birth certificates, and some of them were like, "I need to have, a, you know, a proof of that you applied for unemployment in California," which I had never worked in California. So uh, there was there was just some things that were just kind of you know, out in left field. And I got off the phone and I just cried to TJ because I didn't know if we should like push forward and keep trying to complete this or if we should just sign the kids up under his insurance. And I knew that open enrollment only continued until July 30th. So I needed to make a decision pretty soon. And I spent the rest of the day and night thinking about it and praying about it. And um, every time I prayed or thought about it, I just felt sick. Like every time I thought about applying for Medicaid, and this isn't anything to have against Medicaid. We have had Medicaid before. It's not that Medicaid is bad. I just, every time I thought and prayed about it, it just felt wrong. And so Tuesday evening, July 15th, I told TJ that I just thought we should just sign up for his insurance, that every time I thought about Medicaid, it just felt wrong. And so after looking at and tweaking our budget, he was supportive and I got online and I signed the kids up and very much felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And two days later is when this accident happened. And so one of the things that I hold to and one of the things that I see now as a miracle was just that as we were going to the to the uh, emergency room, I wasn't worried about the insurance piece because I knew that we were covered. Um, my husband got to the ER uh, a couple minutes before we did. And he said that when he arrived, he was overwhelmed because the whole trauma team was set up there waiting for Max. And uh, after talk- talking afterwards, it was interesting because I've had I've had a fear of my children drowning for a really long time. It's just been one of those things that I've just always been really afraid of. And I remember when we were staying with my in laws who had a pool. Couple years ago, like that was my fear. Like I was always hypersensitive about having the door locked. And like that was my fear was like them going out and drowning in the pool. And when I asked my husband what his greatest fear was, he said his greatest fear was seeing one of his children in the trauma bay. And you know, through medical school and through, you know, training, he had spent time in the ER and spent time in the trauma bay and seen those things happen. And he said his greatest fear was to like be in the trauma bay and to have it be his child in the trauma bay. And so this day, both of our fears happened. Um, and so when my husband got there, he introduced himself to the chaplain who was at the periphery of the trauma team. And he told him that he was a new fellow at UNC and that he was the dad of the boy that was coming in. And so the ambulance arrived at the hospital shortly after he got there and Max was rushed into the trauma bay. And I saw TJ and I ran into his arms and I just broke down sobbing. And we just held each other as, as I told him how sorry I was. And Max started to scream in the trauma bay because he was starting to wake up a little bit and he was confused about what was going on. And so I ran toward, towards him and I remember TJ telling me to stay back so that the trauma team could do their stuff. But one of the physicians said that I should go be right near Max, which was a huge blessing to me. The team was super great about putting me right in front of Max so that I could talk to him and I could comfort him while he was getting worked on. And they started an IV and got his his diaper off of him, this waterlogged diaper, and they hooked him up to the monitors. And Max hated the face mask. Um, he just kept trying to take it off and he kept yelling for mommy, but he wasn't really fully awake, um, or alert. And I just had, it kept repeating mom, mommy's here, Max, mommy's here. So that he would just hear my voice and they took x-rays of his chest and they placed a C collar on him since they didn't know if he had fallen and hurt in his neck during the accident. It's just a precaution. And the C collar was Max's least favorite part after that oxygen mask, um, and after they did their ass- assessment and got him stabilized, they made the decision to admit him to the PICU. And so I remember I climbed onto Max's bed and I just held him as I'm laying in this, this hospital bed as they rolled us to the PICU. Um, and being near to him and just holding him was what I needed as a mom at that time. My, my baby had almost died and I didn't know if he was ever going to be the same. And... The trauma attending was amazing. Dr. Adamson was his name. And he was so serenely calm in the trauma bay and just had this super soothing voice when he spoke to TJ and me. And he told TJ that he had never seen a near drowning victim look as good as Max did, which obviously, I mean, that's what you want, right? Like, to look the best as you can under those circumstances that, um, Max looked really, really good. And so in the pick you, Max fought everything that they tried to do to him. He hated the C collar. He didn't want the oxygen on. He hated all the wires attached to him. And again, he's not like coherent at this point. He's still completely like out of it, but he like w- was moving and was not, was upset and didn't like the things that were happening to him. And the team was really great at letting me hold him for most of the set settling in time. Um, and again, he was fighting everything, but he wasn't really speaking other than he kept yell, loudly yelling for mommy. He wasn't really following commands. And again, for the most part, he wasn't really opening his eyes, but he was alive and he was crying and was you know verbalizing things. So two of the people that I remember the most from getting us settled in the hospital was the chaplain and the child life specialist. And I remember the child life specialist kneeling on the ground next to me and she kept reassuring me. And she told me of all the resources they had and that she could help with taking our other, our, talking to our other kids about what had happened. And she brought in toys for Max for when he woke up and she just was comforting because she was right. She was just there with me and everybody was there working on Max, but she was like kneeling down next to me at my level and looking into my eyes and listening to me. And the chaplain also just sat there and came in and talked to us about all the services they could provide. And both of those resources were just so comforting to me because I needed help just as much as as Max did at the time. And my husband was there, and we sat in the hospital for the next couple of hours, and those were hard because we just were waiting we didn't know how Max would do. We didn't know he would wake up. We didn't know if he would ever be the same again. We didn't know if his personality would change. We just we just didn't know. We just waited. And friends had taken Ethan and Kate and they were still at the lake. And at some point I I was just like, I just need them to be away from the lake. So, you know, they were they were fine, they were having fun, but I I, you know, I told my friend, I'm like, I just need you to take them home. Like, I just need them to be away from the water. Um, my baby showed up the hospital. My friend brought, um, my baby. And so I had him and it was him and me and, and my husband and Max that were sitting there. Um, another friend showed up with dinner and a change of clothes because I was still in my swimsuit. And, um, you know, we had a lot of support around us, even in this like brand new place. Like these people didn't know me. I had been in North Carolina for two weeks. Um, they didn't know me, but they oh they served. Um they served me in a way that I won't ever forget. Um, so we just waited. We waited for something to happen. Waited to know if there was going to be brain damage, waited to know if our lives were gonna be completely different, and we just waited. Um Max slept a lot, but he was starting to get more agitated with the oxygen mask over his mouth. And eventually they moved him to just nasal cannula um, since he was able to maintain his oxygen saturation in the 90s. And the doctors told us to prepare ourselves since near drowning victims almost always decompensate overnight because the water washes out the surfactant of the lungs um, and the surfactant helps keep the the lungs open. And um, so they said overnight, the alveoli of the lungs will often collapse, which causes the patient to have their O2 sats drop and oftentimes they'll require intubation overnight. And they just kind of said, you know what? It's totally normal. Just expect that that's going to happen. And eventually we were able to go to sleep and TJ slept in the chair. There's the chair next to the bed. And I climbed into the hospital bed with Max and I slept right next to him. And I will never, ever, ever forget at 2 a.m., Max suddenly woke up he just, he just like woke up, and he looked at me, and he pointed to the call light, the nurse call light, which was orange. And he said, Mommy, what's that orange light? And then he said, Mommy, where are Kate and Ethan? And I said, TJ, did you hear that? And he just said yes. And we just both started crying because our Max was back, and he was going to be okay. And he started talking up a storm, and he didn't remember a single thing that had happened the day before. Um, he never got worse overnight. He never desatted, he never decompensated, and he just continued to improve. And in the morning, the trauma team came and they rounded on him. And by that time, Max literally was like jumping from the hospital bed onto the chair and back again. And it was funny, the attending came in and told us that she had planned on keeping him one more day for evaluation. But as she's like watching him jump from the bed to the chair, she was like, he doesn't need to be in the hospital anymore. So PT had to come in, OT had to come in, speech had to come in and clear him. And then we were ready to go home. And my sister was in New Jersey actually for the summer um, for her husband's work. And so they um, flew down the night of the accident and they took my kids from my friends who were watching them, and my sister came and picked us up from the hospital. And we were incredibly grateful. But I would be lying if I said that like this experience was over, because the next week was so hard. Luckily, my sister stayed with me. Um, TJ had a work conference up in DC that he needed to attend. And um, she stayed with me that next week, and I'm grateful for that because I had so many emotions running through me at the time. I felt incredibly guilty, and I kept wondering, like, all the what-ifs. Like, what if I hadn't seen Max for another minute? What if he had started sinking? We would have never found him in the murky water, what if he had died? What if he had become brain dead? What if he was like incapacitated for the rest of his life? And I felt awful. And I hated going to bed because I would close my eyes and I would see pictures of him floating in the water. And this image of him laying in the ambulance with his eyes rolled back in his head. And while I was in the hospital, everybody who would come in kept telling me that I did such a great job because I did CPR and Max and I did everything right. And that I was the one who kept him alive because I acted so promptly and so quickly and got CPR started. But every time someone came in and told me that, I would feel so guilty because I shouldn't have had to do CPR on him. If I was watching him closer, that accident would have never happened. And that guilt was real. And that fear that I felt and the guilt and the shame... And the regret took a lot of time to heal. And for a long time afterward, every night, I would go upstairs after Max went to bed, and I would just hold him and kiss him and cry as I would think about him maybe not being there. I would think, what would our family be like if we lost Max? And even to this day, like he'll call, he's my lover. Max is my lover. He crawls onto my lap, he loves to give me hugs, he loves to give me kisses. He's like, I just, out of all my kids, he's just my lover and he'll crawl into my lap and I'll just think, what would happen if we had lost him? And it's awful to think about And it gives me so much compassion for people who have lost loved ones. Through this whole experience, I know that my heavenly father was watching out for us. It started with my prompting to sign up for insurance. It continued with the prompting to find Max when I did and with the comfort that I felt as I performed CPR and my son and the fact that I could recall the things that I had learned and bring them to my memory and be able to do it in a time of crisis, people that we barely knew took care of us and served us. My sister just happened to be on the East coast at the time and she was able to come down and help out. And there were so many blessings and so many miracles through this experience that I know that my Heavenly Father is very aware of us. And I am incredibly grateful that Max is okay. I'm incredibly grateful that he's alive and that he's just, he's just like he was before the accident. So as I wrap up this story, and obviously there's a lot of emotions surrounding this, even to this day. This was um, five years ago uh, to this week, and there's still a lot of emotions surrounding this experience. And again, I'm not coming on here just to like blubber and to cry and, you know, to share this experience for any other reason other than I hope that it makes a difference for you. I know that there are moms out here with young kids listening. I know there are grandmas who take their grandkids to the pool. And things can happen so incredibly quickly. And even when there's adults around, even when there's a lot of people around at a public place, things can happen so silently and so quickly. And I hope that it that hearing this story and hearing my experience makes you a little bit more vigilant while you're at the pool or the beach or the lake. And the second reason that I want to share this is because I know that I'm not the only one who feels guilt over something as a mother. Maybe you never had a kid almost drowned, but... I can guarantee during your mothering, there will be experiences that you regret and there will be experiences that you feel guilt about and your kids will get hurt and you will wish that you had kept a better eye on them or wish that, think that you were, would have been a better mom had you have known something that was going on. And I just want to sit in solidarity with you that we are all just trying our best, that we're all doing our very best to raise these kids that we love so much, and that honestly, the shame and the guilt that we put on ourselves is probably the worst part. I don't I don't judge anybody else because I know that we're all going through things and we are all just doing our best. And I hope that you'll remember that and I hope that's one of the things that you take away from this. Um, I was not expecting the emotional trauma that this caused. Um, The physical trauma was real and the fear was real, but I wasn't expecting the emotional trauma. I remember when I was sitting in the hospital and we were waiting for Max to wake up and my husband and I just were sitting there and I remember looking up and turning to him and I said, this is, this is it. This is literally the worst day of my life. Like, this is it. The worst day I'm experiencing it right now, the worst day of my entire life. And you know, I don't know if it will be the worst day of my entire life, but up until that point, it was absolutely the worst day of my entire life. And you know what? I made it through. And I made it through because I have a Heavenly Father who loves me, because I have people who support me. And I'm still here. And you are still here, and you are still strong, and you love your kids more than anything else. And I want you to go give them a big hug and a big kiss. And just remember that the fact that they're there is a blessing. And when Max gets annoying and when he does crazy things and when he is messy and all of the things, I just remember, you know what? The alternative is that he could not be here. And boy, am I glad that he's here. So thanks for sticking with me through this episode. I hope that um, you had some takeaways and that this wasn't just all about me, but it's about you and how you can be better how you can be a better mom how you can be better to yourself and a little bit kinder to yourself and remember this year as you're going out to the pool and the water to just be so vigilant and to make sure that you keep your eyes on your kids I know in this age of phones it's so easy to sit by the poolside and be scrolling through social media while your kids are playing and I just implore you it happens so fast keep your eyes on your kids this summer that wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I know it was a little bit, a little bit off topic, maybe, and not necessarily related to health and fitness, but it was something that I really felt needed to be shared. So I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong, because remember, my friend, you can do anything. Hold up, sister friend.